0: How's it going, everybody? It is five thirty, Thursday, January sixteenth, two thousand twenty. And before we get into this week's episode of the Homeward Path, this is our first trip down the down the lane in two thousand twenty. I've got some very, very, very exciting news. <clears throat> the Constructed Criticism family of network, of which I'm a, a Admittedly, a very small part has gotten a group sponsorship from puremtgo.com. As such, every episode is going to appear not only on our own website, constructedcriticism.com, but also on puremtgo.com. And it is a conglomeration of lots and lots of different content creators that produce all kinds of different magic content. So, becoming a part of that you know getting getting to work with that something like that is kind of a dream come true if I'm being perfectly honest and of course their sponsor is MTGO Traders which is when I when I played a lot of magic online they were my preferred vendor and I may end up having to play a lot more magic online as a result of working with them now uh that may end up being a little bit of a side focus on the show is managing a a really tight budget on mtgo maybe that's something we can work on but make sure you love up our new sponsor puremtgo.com and their sponsor mtgotraders.com they're fantastic i've i've consumed content from puremtgo.com for a long time but getting to work with them is, again, a little bit of a dream come true. It's very exciting to me. I cannot recommend that website highly enough. There is no conceivable way. And then failing, failing that, at the very least, if you play a lot of Magic Online, it's not going to hurt you any to go to MTGO Traders instead of going to your bots first. All right? just The prices are going to be really close to the same, and you get to interact with a person. So, you know, do with that what you will, I suppose. And of course, as I mentioned, we are a part of the Constructive Criticism family. Check out the content from there. ConstructiveCriticism.com. There's a fair amount of content on the Constructive Criticism YouTube channel as well. And while we're on that subject, it also means one of the one of the benefits of the transition to uh pure is this show will actually be going up on youtube as well. Uh, it's not gonna be it's not gonna be taking the place of riding in cars with cards. It's just going to be side by side so that we can have both going at the same time. Uh, notably I, I record riding in cars when I have a chance versus sticking to a strict recording schedule for this show. And in so doing, when I, I record this show on my way home from work at the end of my work week, and probably seven months out of the year, that means it's dark outside. So, trying to do the same thing that I do with riding in cars that I do here, trying to do trying to do those the same is just not going to work out right. You would you would get to see uh, car headlights in my rearview mirror, and that's about it. So. I'm not going to put. I'm not going to subject you to that. We are going to uh, find a format that will work. But be excited! This show is not only going to be up on ConstructiveCriticism.com. It's not only going to be up on PureMTGO.com. It is also going to be up on the YouTube channel. uh, For those of you who have not subscribed yet, that's Homeward Path Gaming. So, all of that out of the way, let's dive in. Welcome into this week's trip down the homeward path. My name is Adam. I'm a husband, a father of three. I work a full-time job. Somehow, some way, we try our best to find a way to make competitive magic work, despite the fact that we may not have the means that the greats do. What are we talking about this week? Well, let's start things off in the fast lane. And The fast lane is my new segment where I'm just going to hit on a kind of broad general reaction to some of the news going on in the magic community we go through this stuff fast so that we can get over in the other lane and slow down and talk about our main topic every week this week's fast lane i want to talk a little bit about the state of modern in the wake of the banning of urza and oko not urza oko uh and mox opal it's basically all da- all bands that target the urza deck but you know it is what it is The deck had become a problem, to say the least. Oko was already a problem. Everybody knows Oko's just Broko and too strong and should not have been allowed to have been printed the way it was. That's neither here nor there. The bigger bigger issue is, the, the bigger ramification for Modern, I guess, over the course of the history of the format, is the banning of Mox Opal and to a much, 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 much lesser extent, Mycosynth Mox Opal was a, one of the cornerstones of Modern when Modern became a format. I remember beta testing for that. <laughs> Affinity was one of the earliest decks that got built and it has been around since. Like, it was a deck in extended. It's just never not been a deck. Even if it wasn't a great deck, it's never not been like a playable deck. But the loss of Mox Opal might break the streak because one of the, only, one of the reasons Affinity was able to remain so powerful and so effective for so long was that thanks to, you know, being able to play a lot of cheap artifacts, even after, you know, even without the... Entire set of artifact lands, the ability to open turn one on Darksteel Citadel, Springleaf Drum, Mox Opal, Activate. That makes a difference. So, the the fact that Affinity gets a massive loss in the overall power of the deck because it new it it neuters a lot of your most disgusting draws losing mox opal neuters your most disgusting draws that's true for affinity that's true for lantern that's true for urza that's true for like the loss of mox opal cannot be overstated to the modern format it was one of the pillars of the format since its inception and the banning of mox opal is a huge deal but it's one that's needed to happen for a while because every other... The best way I like to use... The best way to describe it is every other zero-cost card that makes mana without the help of any other card is banned in this format. Chromebox is banned. I mean... What else is there to say? Mox Opal is... Really strong. The lone, the lone exception, obviously, is Mox Amber. Uh, Mox Amber probably ends up slotting into the Urza deck in place of Opal. It's not nearly as good because it doesn't help you cast the Urza. But it does come online once you have the Urza. Now the, the obvious caveat being it doesn't tap for any color. So it doesn't help you cast wicked bonkers off color cards i understand that that is understandably frustrating and i feel for the people who have been negatively impacted financially by these bannings as someone who has to play magic on a shoestring budget as it is i would be absolutely furious (laughs) if i had just finally gone ahead and bit the bullet and invested in mox opal because it's been around forever it feels like a card that i that i can rely on it feels like a card that's going to be there if i need it and then it gets banned you can mitigate that somewhat depending on what vendor you buy it from but some of us don't have the luxury of choosing our vendor some of us have to choose our price point and again while i was not personally negatively negatively impacted by this banning i feel for you that work. So, and then the last card banned in the format, like Michael said, Lattice, you're not playing that card to do cool, fair things. You are playing that card to take advantage of some kind of synergy piece that is going to stop your opponent from playing magic. And we already have enough of that going on in Modern. We don't need more of it. Whether it's turboing out into a Lattice early so that you can untap and Vandal Blast your opponent's board away, which is admittedly, like, pretty cool, but not remotely fair. Or just going and getting it out of your sideboard with Karn, the Great Creator, who will then allow you to cast it and lock your opponent from being able to tap their lands for mana. You gotta attack if you're gonna break the lock. Like, there's no... I've never seen Microset Lattice used in a way that... Generated incremental value slowly over the course of a game. You use it to break your opponent's rules of the game. So I'm not upset to see Microsoft Lattice go from a design standpoint. Again, obviously, I feel for everybody who was negatively impacted by this decision financially. But let's move on, let's get over. And let's slide into the slow lane for the night. And we're going to be talking about knowing your role in competitive Magic the Gathering. Because while there's been a a fair amount of content created on the subject, it was not something I'd actively started working on until the last couple of months. I spent the last two or three months trying to understand how I needed to play every matchup I came across in, in standard on arena. And I've done it through the lens of, uh, is it flash? And I've done it through the lens of the blue-black kind of weird mid-rangey tap-out control deck that I've been playing since War of the Spark. That's the lens that I'm most, that I play through the most. But the idea behind assessing your role, behind identifying your role and playing in a certain way, it's not new. It's one of the oldest building blocks of Magic the Gathering theory that's existed. Going way, way, way back to where it was published, I want to say it was one of the earliest articles published on Star City Games. If not Star City Games, it may have been on like Pojo or in one of the magazines but it was by none other than Michael J. Flores, and it was entitled, Who's the Beatdown? And the basic gist of this theory is, regardless of who's playing, someone has to be the aggressor and someone has to be the defender. And one of the easiest ways to identify how you are going to play a given matchup is figuring out which one you need to be. And the Flores theory is kind of, the the Flores version of the theory from way back then is kind of layer one. It's level one of role assessment and magic. Which is to say, what does my deck do versus what does their deck do? whose favor? If the game goes short versus if the game goes long. So... Obviously, if you're playing Gruul Embercleave against Jun Sacrifice. Gruul Embercleave is not favored if the game goes long. The Jun Sacrifice deck has too many powerful cards, too many synergies that can get rolling, and will just overall snowball a ton of incremental value all over the Gruul player. So the Gruul player, understandably, is wanting to just put this thing away as quickly as possible. Well... That also can be true if you're both playing Gruel Embercleave decks. One of your builds may feature more removal. One of your builds may feature more threats. One of your builds may feature bigger threats where the other one is a little bit lower to the ground to turn the Embercleave on sooner. It still comes down to knowing whose deck does what, right? Well, then we go one layer deeper into not just whose deck's doing what, but these things can change. The role you need to play can change based on not just what your decks do, but mitigating factors within the games in a match. For example, I play differently when I'm on the play versus when I'm on the draw. When I'm on the play, I prioritize making, you know, I, I wanna, if I'm playing the blue-black deck or the is it deck and I don't have a one drop, I wanna go ahead and get those tap lands out of my curve. Just squeeze them in where I can so that I can I can prioritize the high impact points on my mana curve. That's a little bit more difficult to do when you're on the draw because you're gonna be playing catch-up, especially if you're the if you're forced into the control role. Even if you're on the control roll, play versus draw, you can be more proactive and still be defensive. You know, Thought Erasure on turn two is a proactive play on the play, where leaving up Tyrant Scorn for their three drop is a better reactive play if you're on the draw, even though it's at the same point on the mana curve. It depends on how you feel the matchup is going to go based on the factors in front of you. If you're the beatdown, again, your goal is to end the game as quickly as possible. You want to minimize the number of chances your opponent has to out your board. If you're the control, you want to string the game out as long as possible, maximize the amount of information you have before you so that you can lock down the game, make sure your opponent's not doing anything important, and... Find a way to eventually win. These things are kind of absolute at this layer in the in the subject. The other thing that takes into account if you're if you're on the draw in game one and you lose a long drawn out game to a proactive deck like to to a reactive deck like say Simic Flash. Don't you want to curve down going into Game 2 and just get under all those counter spells? Uh Piotr Glugowski did this at the Mythic Championship when he was playing John Sacrifice against uh, Simic Flash, and he got demolished in Game 1, but then sideboarded in Lovestruck Beast in Game 2. Considering Glagowski went on to win the event, I don't need to tell you what happened next. On the playing game two, gilded goose into love struck beast was enough. You know, gilded goose on one, love struck beast on two, cauldron familiar witches oven on three. Like that's enough to get you going. You're smacking. You're bringing pressure. Suddenly, your deck that's designed to grind is bringing the beat down because you're not favored in a longer game anyway, their cards are just a little bit more powerful than yours. So you can change roles based on your sideboarding plan or based on whether you're on the play or on the draw. You may sideboard differently based on whether you're on the play or the draw. And that will will help dictate which role you take once you start playing. But... Again, we're still pretty rigidly on you, you are either the beatdown or you are the control. Things get a little more nuanced when we go into layer three. And instead of talking about uh, what you know, what my deck does versus what your deck does, that just the overall matchup, instead of talking about the game, the little sub-games within a match, let's talk about the decisions that go on during games. And this is where Svi Moshewitz wrote a fantastic piece about this a long time ago on TCG Player. Uh, I will be looking for it and linking it in the comments of every one of the, the iterations of this that go out. But it was a fantastic piece on how being the beatdown or being the control does not mean an absolute state of how you play the game. And notably, the original Flores theory and then kind of the little bit of sub-theory that branched off of it predated kind of the acceptance of the mid-range deck among the magic populace. I can vividly remember once upon a time mid-range players being demonized by the community as a whole. Because they needed to pick a lane, they either needed to be aggressive or they needed to be a control deck. They're going to get butchered by one by either one of those doing what they do better. But over time, mid range decks and tempo decks and you know flash decks and those kinds—they've of, become more prevalent. They become more common. Now, granted, this piece by Zvi, in a you know regular as as his tradition for Zvi, a smoke a. A Stroke of Brilliance predates even that. But it's the idea that your role can change within a game based on the flow of the game in front of you. It could mean, you know, if I'm playing the blue-black deck and I thought Erasure Your Hand on turn five, expecting to see, you know, threats I can pick apart, but all I see are, are synergy pieces, and I know if you draw this threat... I'm going to die. I've got to change roles. My goal now is to shorten the game as much as possible. I got to beat you to death with whatever I got. On the other side of it, if I'm, you know, if I'm in an aggro mirror and I'm starting to fall behind, but I know there's a couple of cards, there's cards I boarded in maybe that are just a little bit that are just powerful enough to get me over the hump. I've got to play in such a way that I can create a situation for that card to happen. I've got to stay alive, which does not sound like being the beatdown when you're talking about the focal point of staying alive. But not only that, I have to I have to exchange resources, I have to create a board state so that this powerful card can dominate. Well, now I've got to be the control. But then once we get to that board state and we create that situation and we resolve this powerful threat, we're back to being the beatdown because we want to keep this thing going as long as we can. And that doesn't mean stringing the game out. That means just killing our opponent with the advantage we've created. So being the beatdown or being the control doesn't have to be an absolute concept. I can't tell you how many games I have won over the last few months by virtue of the fact that I was willing to pivot, not just willing, but like actively trying to create a situation where I could, you know, I'm playing is uh, it draw to against, against Grul- uh, Golgari adventure. And I'm playing the control role for most of the game because Edgewall Innkeeper is more powerful. I have to make sure that thing doesn't run away and hide. Uh, Lovestruck Beast is a hard card to kill in blue and red. Um, Questing Beast is a messed up magic card that doesn't get blocked by any of these Fairy Rogue tokens by Improbable Alliance and can do a number on my Royal Scions. So I got to keep that thing in check. But, oh man, our opponent's down to like two cards at hand. They've already blown the load of, of powerful four and five drops. We countered their Nissa. We, uh, we, we took the first hit from Questing Beast and Lava Coiled it. We've got uh, four, four Fairy Rogue Tokens on the board and our opponent's board's clear. Where do we benefit now? Our opponent can just draw another Questing Beast. Our opponent can just draw a and put us out of the game. You know what really helps us here? Switching gears, bring the beat down. Let's go ahead and run this ironcrack power mancer out there and just start throwing, throwing threes at your head. Let's put this thing away before they have a chance to crawl back into it. Because now that I've gotten ahead, they need to catch up. They're in the control position. They've got to, they've got to tidy things up, they've got to mop things up, even though early on in the game they were on the beat down. And if they don't realize it, even better for me, they don't realize it. They think I'm still trying to play for a really long game. They play around things I don't have, you know, whatever. But the general idea of being willing to pivot, being comfortable with the idea of changing what you've been doing all game long based on information in front of you, that's a big deal. That's really important, frankly. And that's one of the key tenets to why I've been doing so much better playing Arena of Light. Is I've been willing to make that switch, been willing to make that decision. (coughs) Sorry. Excuse me. Willing to do what is maybe a little bit against the grain of more traditional magic theory. And just... play each game as its own entity. Instead of saying, okay, well, game one, I was the beatdown, so it works really well there. Uh, You know, it's it's really, really good. We're just going to roll with that. Game two, yeah, I don't don't care what they sideboarded. Their deck's better in the long game than mine, so... I still have to be the beat down. Maybe they sideboarded down on their curve while you sideboarded in removal that can handle them better. At which point, you will benefit from stringing the game out longer so that whatever haymakers you have left are more powerful than what they have left. Maybe that's how it goes. Be willing and open to the idea of being wrong about how games are going. Don't be rigid in, in execution. And that's all I've got for this week, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we pulled into the driveway. We're waiting on the internet to pick up so I can do my last segment. But let's pull into the turn lane and talk about where you can find us. You can find me again. This show will now be available on ConstructedCriticism.com. PureMTGO.com and on YouTube, all three platforms. So check it out in all those places so that we know how much you love it. While you're at it, don't forget to check out the other content on PureMTGO.com. It's great. Obviously, our sister, our our our, our companion programs on ConstructiveCriticism.com itself. If you haven't been consuming this content, I don't know what you're doing with your life. And then while you're out perusing the web, if you like what I'm doing enough to support me in my endeavors to continue doing it, head over to patreon.com slash This show and every piece of content I make is always going to be free. But if you want to have more of a direct hand in some of it, become a patron. Uh, If you're a patron of $1 or more, you get access to the Patron Pathfinders Discord where we discuss episode topics and uh, decks and all that. If you're a patron of $3 or more, your deck gets moved to the front of the line for riding in cars with cards. And if you are a patron of $5 or more, I'm going to be holding a contest in the fairly near future for you to help me write an episode. I want to write an episode about what you specifically, this one patron wants to talk about. Maybe it's a topic you haven't seen covered by anybody else. Maybe it's just something you wanna hear me talk about because it's gonna be hilarious to hear the the dad and the budget guy talk about it. Whatever the case may be, those are the benefits available to you through uh, Patreon. And if you want to reach out to me about any of this, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Homeward Path MTG. I'm on Facebook. My name is Adam Spain, like the country, not the thing that you find on your couch. Uh, and if you want to be a part of the conversation in a fun and whimsical way, you can join the Facebook group, Homeward Pathfinders. It is... Open invite. Just request to join. We'll give you a once-over. Uh, one of the admins will give you a look-over. Make sure you're not a horrible person. Make sure you're not bringing all the 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 nonsense of the world into this group. It's not what I'm here for. This is my escape from that. That's why I do this because I enjoy it. And uh, if you really want to, if you want to get in on this, in the most fun, the most. The the way I love to share with everybody the best, you can get on Twitter or uh, basically anywhere else, any other platform, and check out hashtag MTG Dad Jokes. And oh my heavens, we've got a few because it's been uh, what three weeks since I recorded one of these. <laughs> I am so sorry it took me so long, everybody. The holidays were brutal. And I spent the last two weeks overcoming rather severe allergy attacks because the weather in Tennessee is a, is like a slide whistle right now. You get up, you, you get ready to go to bed, bed at night, and it's going, Ew. and then you get up the next morning, and it's going, it's, you know, 38 at night, 60 the next morning, and then 20 the next day. And my body just can't cope. I'm talking, it's just not been well. This is the most of my voice I've had in nearly three weeks. So I'm glad I was able to do this today. It's kind of like lightning in a bottle. I'm afraid I won't be able to do anything else for a few more days. But we've got a slew of these. First of all, from my good friend Brian Canada, says just listed my Reign academy chancellor deck on architect. I really wish she would have been pre-printed specifically in time spirals time shifted that way I could have had a baller deck name. (laughs) Oh man. That's terrible. Um, The next one is Gavin Varhe, and it was the the 2020 meme going around right before New Year's. And in the middle, the text message in the middle of it says, Sack sack Mage on Depths, make a 2020. Spoiler alert, I plan on doing a fair amount of that in uh, in the Chainer deck that I'm building. I'm fortunate enough to be in possession of a Dark Depths that I haven't sold yet. So that's just going to be a, like the a, a little bu- a little feature of the deck just re- recurring Merit Uh the next one is Mark Rosewater's Tales from the Pit number 2196. And it is two dad jokes in one thanks to uh, I believe the card's name is Galena or Galia the Endless Dance. The, the Seder Lord from Theros Beyond Death. First of all, the name of the strip is Seder Day Night Fever. And then it says, I just want to endless dance with somebody. <laughs> oh, Morrow, never change. The next one, uh, I'm trying to find the Twitter handles. From from uh, Kristen Amaria Shepherd. So this is currently played in 0% of decks on EDH Rec. Am I insane for thinking this is a bit of a sleeper in Yarick? At worst, your creatures get in for damage. At best, you get a free recast. Seems legit if you have ways to pump the team. This process, this process has been a Path of Discovery, and the first thing that came to my mind is how good Path of Discovery is with this card. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the card in question is Cunning Evasion. When a creature you control becomes blocked, you may return it to its owner's hand. Path of Discovery says when a creature enters a battlefield under your control, that creature explores. So, those two things seem like they would work really well hand in hand together. If you're, you know, if you have access to blue mana or uh, green mana in your deck that are playing ninjas, pick up my Ninja of the Deep Hours. Attack again next turn. Ninja it in. Explore before you draw. Like that seems that seems reasonable. What a fun thing to do. Uh, next up, from Magic Mike's podcast, which is one of my classic favorites, says, we are live, boring 20s, and it's uh, Nessie and Boar. Oh my goodness, I've had so much fun with this joke. I've had so much fun with just the, the Boar jokes all the way around. You could say I have... Uh, 30 to 35 feral boar jokes lined up and ready to go. Um, But I love them. They are absolutely hysterical. Oh, come on. Let me get that. Let me get that right. Pull that one up. Huh. Mason. I have simple dreams for next set, and I got to see him make an attempt on stream last night. I really do appreciate you, you giving that a shot. And it's uh, Ilhard, the Rays Boar, and the Nessian Boar. And Trey, former uh, former Constructive Criticism co-host, Trey McLarnon, says, that's a boring dream. And I said, and then you can, you know, have a Narset and play and completely live the dream. And Jess, uh, Jessica Estefan says, I'm thinking of playing 30 to 50 of these. Nick Packard says hamming it up, going hog wild. Bore force one, never boring, party pigs. There's there's just too many of these and they're all good. Uh Next up. Walking. Uh, next up, Tales from the Pit, number 2198. Mark Rosewater. What's a kraken's favorite thing to eat? Fish and ships. I understood that reference. <laughs> uh, where is it? Where is it? There it is. And this one requires a little bit of storytelling. So for the week of new year's we did a we did a little new year's party that tuesday night and we we played we, we never got around to playing commander we ended up playing other games well then that weekend uh brett came down my cousin cody was still in town and my good friend brian canada from cure for the common game on youtube also came down to play at the lgs well i Reminded him that I live less than a five minute walk from the LGS. So if we couldn't make it out, I asked if he'd be okay with just coming over to play some commander with us. And the first game we ended up playing, I was playing, uh, I was playing feather. Cody was playing Niv-Mizzet. Brett was playing Joda. Brian was playing Zada. And then Sarah was playing Miri. And the, the, the story here can be summed up as as thus. Brian says, Zada got destroyed by kitties after eliminating the other three players. The kitties were cold. They needed a coat of arms. Because that's what ended up happening. Uh, coat of arms is, is usually a double-edged sword. But with Miri Weatherlight Duelist in play, you don't care about it. I don't care that you have, uh, you have 20, 20, 20 goblins. I don't care. You only get to block with one. And all the minor nines. Let's go get them. <laughs> but it was fun. And he made that joke immediately following. The next one is from Angelo, Jess Guy Charmer. Uh, Twitter handle is at the Jess Guy which is just a fun joke in and of itself says, do you like wheel decks? How about graveyards? Are you often thirsty on main? If you've answered yes to any of these questions, you hooligan, check out this week's Arca tune up where I go through a chainer deck with a twist. And the title of the article is Arca tune up whips and chainers excite me. (laughs) Oh man. I snorted laughing when I first read that I was at work. And then last but not least, Brian. Brian Canada tag me in another one from Gavin Varhey, And the image he's using is the classic age-old giant spider alongside one of the playtest cards, which is Scaled Destruction. And it's, choose one or more, you destroy all small creatures, medium creatures, or large creatures. A small creature has total power and toughness, 4 or less, medium is 5 to 8, and large is 9 or more. Well, giant spider is a 2-4. Which means, Gavin's joke is spot on according to scale destruction. It says more like medium spider, am I right? Kinda. Hasn't been giant in years. <laughs> Go one more mana up the curve and just play Ishkuna. You get six power and eleven toughness of reach. (laughs) Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, this episode as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. Again, I love doing what I do. Uh, I do this because I enjoy it, not for any other any other bit of it whatsoever. I love being able to discuss Magic with people. Maybe bring some new ideas, new building blocks to them and especially from a budget perspective one of the easiest ways to save money is to get better at the game because it means you can win with more decks it means you can win with access to less decks it can it means you can win with worse cards so i firmly believe in a strong theoretical grasp of the game and taking every effort and every opportunity to apply that theoretical approach as often as possible. That's how we improve. That's how we get better. And that's how we eventually raise our budget. So I'm going to go ahead and turn the car off now. And I will catch you on Monday when we upload Riding in Cars with Cards to YouTube. We got a few episodes lined up. So again, if you're a patron, Please send me deck lists because I'm going to have time this weekend to record several of these. So, uh, if you've got a Sweet Theros Beyond Death Standard Brew you want to talk about, send it. If you've got a Pioneer deck you you want me to talk about and doesn't seem like anybody's talking about it, send it. If you've got a Pauper deck that you think everybody wants to hear about, send it. I want to talk about it. So, That's all I've got for this week, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, thank you. Thank you to Pure MTGO for making this show more possible. And we'll catch you next week. Stay safe, have fun, and stay improving.